Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari, or indeed welcome back to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. If you are returning, uh, thank you very much. Thank you for being here. I hope you're feeling well. Hope you had a good week. I had a great week, I have to say. I was in Cork last Thursday, as some of you will know, doing a live show where my guests were Ava Smith and Chubby Cat. And it was one of those ones where I knew that not everyone would know who Alva was, even though you'd probably be familiar with her work if someone explained it to you. And I knew that not everyone would know who Chubby Cat was because she's a relatively new um, musical artist, but I knew that everyone would love them both. And that's exactly what happened. It was so great. So great to be in Cork. I love Cork. Um, and a few of my friends came down and uh, we stayed an extra night with a friend of ours who lives in Cork and um, we just had an absolute ball. I went to, or got takeaway from Cafe Is before the show. Had to go to Hillbillies afterwards, even though there's one in Fairview in Dublin because it doesn't deliver to my house and I'm never over there. So any opportunity to eat that gravy, I'm going to do it. We went to, oh, what was the pub we went to? Something dance beside the Everyman, which was brilliant. Loved that pub. Delicious pints of Guinness. Then we went for dinner in Ichigo Ichi and that was delicious. And then we went to the Oval and it was just a lovely cork time. I had a ball. So um, thank you to everyone who came to the show for giving me an excuse to go to Cork and uh, time to hang out with my friends. And we will have more shows to be announced this year. Um, has been a good while since I've done anything in Dublin. So definitely going to have to get a date in the diary as soon as possible. Other than that, it's just been working away and the usual crack. Uh, thank you to everyone who signed up for the Patreon over the course of the last week. Again, I just so appreciate that. It is obviously an easy way for you to support the podcast. Um, financially, it makes a big difference. Um, it, it really uh, makes my life a lot easier. And it means a lot to me personally to know that you think it's worthwhile. This podcast is worthwhile um, and that it's something that you want to support. Of course, if you do sign up to the Patreon, you get bonus episodes. But I know that you only are signing up because you want to support me and send me a, a Patreon hug. And I so appreciate that. Now... 
I said last week that I had a bit of news for you or there was something coming, something to do with the duration of the podcast and there is. Um, so obviously when I started this podcast, I was fresh out of radio um, and I was very excited about it and I didn't want to sacrifice anything that I had done in radio. I wanted to cover everything. I wanted to do the news. I think it's really important to do the news. I think it's really important to stay connected to the news and that is the reason that I wanted to do it. I think that if we aren't connected to what's going on, we don't feel empowered when it comes time for us to do things like voting and um, so that's why it's important to me to have that there. I really wanted to still be able to highlight cool th- people who are doing cool stuff and have those conversations so that's where the interview came from and I really 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 wanted to talk about celebs and showbiz because that is just a personal passion area and I've got so much knowledge up in this stupid head that if I didn't use it it would just be completely wasted space. So all of the sections are equally important to me. However, I really thought I'd be able to do them each in 20 minutes, but as the, you know, almost two years have gone by, it's clear that I can't keep this podcast to one hour. It's just not possible. It's not happening. And I actually don't really want to. Each segment has kind of grown into its own personality and none none of them ever want to be 20 minutes long or less they each want to be at least a half an hour long and I don't want to stop it but I also think that an hour and a half episodes are kind of crazy and I think they might put some people off and um, I also think and appreciate that not everybody wants to listen to every section and some people find the news particularly at the moment when it's so bleak being at the start a little bit off-putting so we're changing it up folks um Next week is the 99th episode of this podcast, would you believe? And so for the following week, for the 100th episode of the podcast, things are going to be a little different. So many people sent me panicked messages this week saying, don't, don't, um, don't get rid of this, don't get rid of that, don't shorten the podcast, don't whatever. Um, so just to assuage your concerns from the get-go, it's not going to be shorter. There's just going to be more episodes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate the podcast out into three episodes every week rather than it being one episode every week. So the news segment will be its own episode, the interview segment will be its own episode, and the showbiz segment will be its own episode, and they'll be delivered to you across the week. I think that most of the time they probably still will be about a half an hour but what it means is we have room on the times when I want more than half an hour and the times when there's so much to talk about that half an hour just isn't enough that we can have a bit of breathing room. I don't see it being any more than like 40-45 minutes but just means we have a bit of space on the times when that space is warranted. It also means that I'll be able to do longer interviews with people who I've kind of put off chatting to because I just felt like I couldn't do it sufficiently in the time that was allotted. So for example... Um, Katrina O'Sullivan, Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan is someone who I really wanted to interview last year, but I just didn't feel like I would have enough time in the in the current format to have a proper conversation with. I knew there'd be too much to talk about. So I waited until Christmas when I had time. Sorry, I'm actually going like talking so fast because I'm like excited and a little bit nervous. So <laughs> take a deep breath, Louise. <sighs> So I waited until Christmas when I could have a little bit more time with her to have that conversation. And by separating things out, it just means I won't have to wait to have those conversations. Sometimes, like I say, it'll still be a quickie, but sometimes it won't. Um, And then, of course, if you're someone who really likes to listen to them all together no problem. You can just save them up till Friday and you can listen to them all together if you want. So I hope you feel like this is good news. I feel like it's good news. I think it's the right thing to do um, for the podcast and for you guys. Um, 
do send me your feedback. Please let me know. You know where to get me on all the social medias. I'm Louise McSharry. Of course, there is the podcast phone as well, which is where I'm always happy to take uh, feedback and thoughts. 089-209-6423 is the number. That's 089-209-6423. Um, and yeah, some of your thoughts. I, I feel like this is good. I've consulted with a lot of people and um, we all seem to think that this is the, a right idea going forward. Um, and I'm excited about it. So that's the big podcast news. As I say, next week, you will get the usual format. But then from the following week, you will be getting three episodes instead of one. And they'll each be segmented out. So you're getting the same, slightly more, and you're getting it in chunks instead. Okay, I need to go and like return to my normal level of breathing. I don't know why I got so like frantic there. I guess it's just, you know, it's a big deal. I started this podcast, as I say, almost two years ago. It'll be two years in March, two years next month. And at the time, I was still really um, kind of reeling from what had happened in 2FM and the way that I had finished up with RTE. Um, I was really keen to do something that I could do every single aspect of I really wanted ownership of every single bit of it um, and I've done that and that's not going to be changing soon but I think down the line I may let someone help me a little bit because currently I'm a little bit overloaded but I'm really proud of what I've created here and honestly it would be nothing without you like you have made this possible for me I can't believe that I get to do this as part of my career and you know it is truly such a positive thing I know for other people as well who've gotten in contact with me over the last couple of years to say you know it's made them realize that maybe they could go and start their own thing and that's the beauty of the world that we live in particularly when it comes to broadcast is that you can start your own thing you can do your own thing you can build your own you know your own career Um, and I'm so grateful to live in a time where that's possible but none of it would be possible without you and I mean that in all sincerity and I hope you I hope you feel it in your ears, wherever it is that you're listening right now, I am talking to you. I I do I would be nowhere without you. So thank you for supporting me over the last couple of years, over the last nearly 100 episodes. And as I say, we will be making those changes in two weeks. So no need to stress about it now. Let's get into things. We've got a lot to talk about this week. As always, I'm catching up in the news with Carl Kinsella. Hello, Carl Kinsella. Greetings from, it is one of the grimmest We've had a lot of grim days recently, weather-wise in, in Dublin, but it is particularly grim today. Um, how is it looking out your window in Amsterdam? It's actually not too bad. It's, uh, yeah, it, I haven't set. Okay, outside. stop posting. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I went outside earlier on to, to chat to the construction guys to be like, hey man, I've got an important podcast to, uh, to record. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they knocked it off for me, thankfully. Oh, um, but yeah, weather-wise, it seems fine. I'm looking forward to doing some summer podcasts. You yeah, know, that'll be nice. Me when too. Finally, get to do some summer records. That's the dream. I'm really starting to like yearn for summer. Um, mm-hmm. You can do kinda... like a beer beer garden live episode. That would be so yeah. fun. Wouldn't we should do fun? that. Yeah. yeah Are you going to be good. home for the summer? Oh, I'll certainly be home a good bit. Yeah. 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 Okay. We should do that. Let's mark that down. Write that down, Carl. <laughs> yeah, <a> <laughs> Okay, we've got lots of news to discuss and we will start as we have done for the last three months in Gaza. Um, When I sent you this email, the line was ceasefire hopes. But from what I gathered, those hopes have already been dashed. Yeah, certainly like dashed in the the immediate term. Although you never know with with things like peace deals because there's so much brinksmanship and each side is trying to give this sort of impression. I have never heard that word before in my life. You're going to have to explain that one to me. So I guess brinksmanship is sort of when you have two people, it's sort of like playing chicken with each other, you know, 
like they're both sort of taking each other to the brink okay and uh in so in the case of like a security peace deal that would be like giving the impression that you're prepared to keep going okay and, you know so it's, and that's that's certainly what netanyahu is doing uh benjamin netanyahu the israeli prime minister that's what he's doing right now mm. he's like the israeli army is they're closing in on the city of rafa which is where a lot of um, like at a certain point, this is where a lot of people from Gaza were crossing out into Egypt. Um, but it's it's kind of it's no longer safe, which is a, a pattern we've seen throughout the entire conflict is that Israel recommends that people from Palestine or Gaza travel to a certain spot in Gaza where they'll be safe. And then the military pursues them there anyway. So we saw that happen in Khan Yunus as well, which is where people were told to go there. And then the bombing starts there anyway. Um, and that's kind of what we're seeing in, in Rafa right now. Mm. Um, so Netanyahu speaking yesterday amid these peace talks that are happening in Cairo. Uh, Netanyahu said that he still believes total victory is possible. Total victory is the goal of the IDF. And what total victory would look like, according to them, is, of course, you know, pretty much an entirely... Uh, Palestinian free Gaza. Um, so that's that is a, a disturbing thought. Pa Especially Hamas when you consider that, like, you know, their narrative at the beginning of this was we just want the we just want the hostages. That's all we want is the hostages. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and then it became very clear that it really wasn't about that. And I know no. lots of people will have doubted that from the start. But now I guess they're saying the quiet part loud. Yeah, because the proposed peace deal that is coming out of the talks in Cairo, it, it's it's a, it, what it would amount to is in total a 135-day pause in fighting. And Hamas Hamas say that over that 135-day pause, that the negotiations could continue further and would conclude the war. But so that 135-day pause would be broken down into three phases. And the first phase would see Hamas release all Israeli women hostages, men under 19, uh, the elderly and the sick, and they want those exchanged for Palestinian women and children held in Israeli jails. Mm. So that's step one of the process. Uh, why that can't be agreed to is sort of beyond me. Mm. Uh, they want Israeli forces to withdraw from populated areas of Gaza and the reconstruction of hospitals and refugee camps to begin. So it's the kind of thing that if you take it at face value, it seems like a perfectly reasonable demand. Mm. Uh, the second phases would see the second phase would see all hostages on both sides released. So this is prisoners in Israeli jails, but also hostages taken on October seventh. And uh, the final phase would would see both sides exchange remains and bodies. Mm. So there's no. Uh, it's not a super ambitious no. plan. You know, it doesn't it doesn't demand that Israel completely um evacuate from where like for, they want israeli forces to leave gaza completely but they don't you know it's not a sort of from the river to the sea peace deal yeah. it's not demanding that the israeli state no longer exists or anything mm. it is definitely just sort of a, a something that would allow for some continuance uh in terms of a, a a ceasefire yeah. um but no israel has as as you say they've dismissed it entirely they're out for total victory and you know, we saw this week the UN reported that 100,000 people, 100,000 Palestinians have been either killed, injured or displaced. Um, and that is that's set to continue for now, even as as peace talks ostensibly continue. Mm. You know, we are unfortunately we're not we don't seem to be on the cusp of an actual ceasefire or a peace deal. It seems like the IDF's pursuit of total victory is, is where we are now. OK, Um. well, I mean, there's not much more we can say about that, unfortunately. Um. It is a horrendous reality that we have to live with that this is ongoing and there is there's is just the interesting uh irish involvement this week of mm -hmm. uh irish women's basketball team yes. has a has a game against uh 
has a game against Israel, and that has led to some like very weird stuff. Um, the Israeli team was posing in Tel Aviv this week with IDF members. So these girls who that the, the Irish team are going to play against, they mm. were just there posing with guns, which is a uh, just a, a weird a weird thing i mean if you're an irish women's basketball player and you're looking at that you've got to be feeling extremely conflicted and confused um the president or the ceo of basketball ireland john feehan has said that he doesn't think it would make a blind bit of difference for the game to be called off or mm. for irish players and the team to boycott the game mm. i don't know i think it's, it's obviously very hard for something like that to fall on the shoulders of just you know amateur sports people mm. but i do also think that if everybody took the attitude that it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference if they tried to boycott something mm. we would jump anywhere so it's it's a tough it's a tough one yeah because there is I have some, you know but it it seems very black and white, I think, from the outside. You're kind of like, well, obviously, you just don't play the match. But there are serious consequences, I think, for the team if they decide to do that in terms of the way that they can function going forward in the league. Um, and uh, I can understand that that would give people pause. I did hear that some players have withdrawn or are talking about withdrawing. And I do think that they're in a, a tricky position. I think it's interesting that the Israeli uh, team are labeling the Irish team anti-Semitic. Um, the, one of their players, Doris Sar, said it's known that they're quite anti-Semitic and it's no secret and maybe that's why a strong game is expected. Um, we know they don't like us and we will leave everything on the field always and in this game especially. Um, so there is some suggestion that like, you know, they have an attitude like, about this game in particular because of our stance on Palestine as a, you know, generally as a nation. Yeah, and to me, a claim like that, a totally baseless claim, you know, that Irish people are anti-Semitic, because I mean, I do think that like, you know, stats collected by Eurobarometer do show that, you know, we are one of the least anti-Semitic. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that anti-Semitism doesn't exist in Ireland. It certainly does. No, of course it does. We, we are, we are, I think, you know, we are less anti-Semitic than certain other uh, populations. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, like, you know, to kind of conflate that with just these you know, these basketball players and to sort of, you know, by extension, accuse them of having those attitudes. Yeah. You know, that to me is like bringing the game into disrepute. That's, you know, I think there are other sports where that kind of chat would end up, you know, I don't know if you'd necessarily forfeit the game, but you'd be, you'd be sanctioned. Yeah. Uh, you'd be censured. And it's, it, to me, it's amazing that, that they're getting away with that. Even the posing with the guns. I think that's crazy. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. You know, the game is going to go ahead but i think for most people it's going ahead very begrudgingly you know i don't think anyone is really happy about having to to take part yeah in, uh, in this game and just to flag again that you can be pro-palestine and you can be anti-zionist and still not be anti-semitic they're two completely different things okay let's talk about the arson attacks which have continued in ireland um in relation to kind of anti-immigration sentiment this is a growing problem isn't it carl yeah, certainly a growing problem. And it's, you know, I, I've I've written about this, you know, a few times in Surreeling in the years, because I think what disturbs most people is that you you We just um we just stopped there briefly because some mod construction has started outside Carl's house and it's quite loud for him and distracting. You might hear it a little bit in the background, but I think it should be okay for you guys. So we're gonna just play one through and keep going. Um, uh, this is this is after me at the top of the segment bragging that I got them to stop as well. <laughs> Makes me How look, embarrassing uh, for you. I know. It makes me look so so impotent and powerless. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, um, okay. Yeah, so we were discussing these arson attacks. Yeah. So this is something that the listeners will probably be aware of, that, you know, buildings earmarked uh, across Ireland for 
refugee accommodation or emergency accommodation for asylum seekers or direct provision, they have been pretty frequently targeted in, mm. in arson attacks. And this is going back to 2018. Um, most articles about this subject will tell you that there's been sort of 20 or 21 attacks of this mm. kind. Uh, and it is, it is, it's a clear pattern, you know, mm. it, it applies to these buildings that are going to be used for this purpose. I think there was a, there was another attack yesterday in leak slip. Mm. So it's just, it's pretty much, uh, it's it's non-stop at this point it feels like there's a new attack every week particularly since the turn of the year mm. and i think a lot of people their complaint is that the people who are causing these attacks feel as if they're immune to any kind of prosec prosecution mm. because there have been so few arrests mm. but that seems to be turning this week which is you know a positive development mm. like i've like i was saying i've written a lot about this i've called on the guardian to take more action because it's been it feels as though these crimes are being ignored mm. but this week we have finally got some arrests so we had uh, some arrests uh, over the attack on the pub in rings end mm -hmm. um which people will remember that took place a couple of weeks into the year mm. um it was the, the shipwright pub on Thorncastle street which is the street i actually used to live on mm. um so it's there's been three arrests there there's been arrests in the case of the the tents being burned at sandwich street mm. uh, that was last year again mm. people will probably remember and there's been some arrests uh, relating to an arson attack in killarney mm. so this is the kind of thing um, our crime correspondent the journal this week niall o'connor wrote about it the guardi have appealed kind of for more time to investigate these things they need to go through cctv evidence they need to go through encrypted phones these things can't happen immediately. Um, I still, I don't know to what extent that comforts people because these attacks have been so rampant mm. and it's so frightening that I think people want immediate action. And I do think it's important that that these arrests are made in a, like a timely fashion. Um, yeah, but it I mean, we're making it finally seems we're making progress with the arson attacks yeah. uh, in terms of arrests. But I think people still want to see a lot more in terms of prosecution because otherwise it's not going to stop, you know, unless... Yeah, it's it's just really unfortunate. It is a growing thing. I can't get over how frequently I see things on Twitter and other social media platforms. And granted, yes, Twitter has turned into a bit of a cesspit, but I don't think we can ignore it. You know, completely like unrelated things that are totally unrelated to what I would view unrelated to migration. You know, the replies being flooded with anti-immigration sentiment. Like it's actually almost impressive how people can connect immigration to literally everything that seems to happen in Ireland at the moment. But Una Mullally had a good column in the Irish Times during the week where she basically was saying, you know, the, the fact that immigration has been like made a scapegoat for all of the other social problems that we have in this country is truly remarkable because it's managing to divert people's attention, as we've said so many times on the podcast, from the actual issues towards you know, immigration. And instead of thinking about the fact that the government doesn't seem to be doing enough on, you know, healthcare for mental health care, um, you know, funding for so many different things, housing, you know, all of that energy is being funneled towards immigration rather than the actual problems themselves. We're never going to get anywhere unless we start tackling the actual issues. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I just babbled there, but you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a poll this week uh, that was published by Ireland Thinks um, that said that like an increasing number of Irish voters are prepared to vote for an anti-immigrant or an anti-immigration candidate, which is just such a crazy development because all of the issues that I think people are lumping into the sort of Ireland is full hashtag, as you say, education, housing, healthcare, these are things that have been in the absolute doldrums since I was a child yeah. and before that. You know, like I have been hearing about a hospital overcrowding for the last 25 years of my yeah. life, since I was 
old enough to listen to the radio. Yeah, my so entire, that- like I started working in radio 21 years ago and it was an issue then that we used to cover on a regular basis. Yeah. So the, like the idea that this is somehow related to immigration, I think, you know, most right thinking people know either deep down or on the surface, they know it's not to do with immigration. Mm-mm. And then the people who are a bit more affected in their minds um, by these things, I think the, the kind of true believers, they just need to be uh, brought to heel because, you know, we can see, you know, we talk about these arson attacks, we can see on Twitter, we can see sort of evidence, you know, we can see the buildings in real time being targeted. Mm. Um, so I think there's, uh, there's, yeah, there's more work to be done, but it is, it's promising this week that we are finally seeing some arrests. Yes, absolutely. Um, now, Brianna Jai's mother was speaking this week um, and also visited Parliament in the UK this week, which we will get to, um, was speaking this week about teenagers' access to social media platforms. Brianna Jai obviously is a uh, the trans girl who was killed by two other teenagers um, and her mother has been, I have to say, absolutely incredible in the way that she's talked about these issues and the way she's spoken out on behalf of her daughter over the last number of months. Um, but the latest thing is basically she's campaigning for under 16s to have limited smartphones, right? Yep, that's it. So she was speaking on um, to Laura Koonsberg on the BBC, um, Esther Jai, uh, the mother of Brianna Jai, and she... she proposed this idea where it's like if you're over 16 these are her words if you're over 16 you can have an adult phone but then under the age of 16 you have a children's phone Mm. which wouldn't have a lot of the social media apps that are out there right now and the reason that that's what she's advocating for is because the two teenagers who who killed brianna you know they had been found to have searched a lot of kind of very nefarious content on their phones. Yeah, so uh, I think she was yeah. saying that like if certain search terms were used, the parent's phone would get a notification so you'd know if your kid was Googling, you know, how to kill someone, yeah. basically. And this is, you know, obviously that's the kind of thing that that sort of already exists to a certain level on like, you know, on computers from, you know, internet service providers will provide that sort of child watcher mm. technology. These things, you know, I'm fairly sure... You know, this is, I, I think anyone would hear this from Esther Jai and think it's quite a reasonable proposal. You know, mm. I don't think it's it's crazy to think that maybe, you know, young people have way too much unfettered access to really problematic material. Yeah. You know, in this case, they were watching, you know, snuff videos and videos of extreme violence. Mm. You know, that's there has to be a way to combat that. Yeah. Um, whenever I do hear proposals like this, for example, just like a phone that can't access certain things or, you know, something that will let parents know immediately about certain search terms, I always feel like, you know, it, it never seems realistic. Mm. Uh, just because, you know, you, I don't think you're going to get the phone companies or whoever to agree. You're certainly not going to get the likes of Instagram and WhatsApp and, you know, Reddit and Facebook yeah. and YouTube to all play ball with this idea. But that it also... Yeah, and it also requires parents to opt in as well and to be, you know, strict about whether or not their kid has an adult phone or a kid phone or, you know, and and unfortunately, life is really hard as a parent and staying on top of every single aspect of every single thing can be tricky. And, you know, there are lots of parents who would be committed to something like this, but there are some parents who wouldn't. And, you know, internet safety already, there are things that we can do that not every parent is doing you know it's for sure it's a really really difficult problem to solve like I you know I think it's it's a good idea it would be great if we could actually implement it but you know I'm as you say I'm just not sure it's possible which is unfortunate well that's honestly for me you know and I, I've worked obviously in online journalism for you know eight years or more now mm. and I just think that the 
the baseline sort of where we need to start with the solution to this problem is at like a really early age mm. and just having a very um, comprehensive curriculum at the primary school level yeah. about you know how to consume media yeah. and that you know includes misinformation but it also does include you know trying to be sensible and empathetic when you're accessing videos of you know like if you're if you fall down a rabbit hole of watching violent videos yeah um there need to be resources there for people to sort of pull themselves out of that rabbit hole yeah um so i think that it kind of goes beyond just banning things yeah no it's media literacy and critical thinking yep. and all of those things i totally agree i totally agree it's it, but it is unquestionably a really difficult problem to solve and you know I can only imagine how motivated Esther is to try and do something about it after losing her gorgeous daughter um now there was a very unfortunate turn of events unfortunate probably is the wrong word to use because it was just absolutely stupid and offensive in parliament this week when Esther was there wasn't there yeah so this was i actually i read a report that apparently she hadn't arrived when this the comment had been made um but she did uh she was in attendance mm. for the the pmq session with rishi sunak so during prime minister's questions rishi sunak got up and he was you know a lot of people have seen footage from the house of commons before where it's the two leaders they just sort of go back and forth sniping at each other yeah um but on this day in particular uh rishi sunak got up and he was talking about all the various U-turns that Keir Starmer has made and thrown in amongst the U-turns. This is it's a favorite of Rishi Sunak's. He loves to to beat down on this. He said that the Keir Starmer had done a U-turn on defining what a woman is. Mm. And the the implication there is that Keir Starmer as someone who and Keir Starmer honestly is not even a huge advocate of trans rights at all. No. He's pretty weak on it. Yeah. Um but so even even being just sort of slightly less conservative on trans issues than the Tory party is enough to sort of earn this uh, derision from Rishi Sunak. And yeah, the suggestion is that Keir Starmer doesn't know what a woman is because he somewhat believes in trans rights. Um, and this is something that the Tory party, they, ha they you know, they hark on about a lot, you know, mm. defining what a woman is. Mm. And they're they're very... Uh, they see themselves as very robust on this issue. But of course, it's just just the t classical gender critical approach, mm. um, which believes that, you know, it essentially doesn't believe in transness, no, transness. It, it undermines binary, transness. Yeah. It, yeah, it believes in the binary and it believes that, you know, it just it's so dehumanizing. And that's the exact word that uh, Esther or that Brianna Jai's father used when he was speaking about Rishi Sunak's comedy, he said it was dehumanizing mm -hmm. and he uh, he demanded an apology, which certainly when I sat down to record as a move forthcoming, I feel like an apology, you know, it could come at any minute because it is so deserving of an apology. Yeah. Um, but right now, Rishi, hasn't Sunak, Rishi Sunak hasn't apologized yeah. um, for the comments. I mean, it um, is wild for, like, to make a casual transphobic comment on a day when you know, because they are notified, when you know that the mother of a trans teenager who was brutally murdered is coming in. Like, to be so casual just, I think, is a real demonstration of how the complete and utter total lack of respect that he has for trans people and for trans issues in general. And I would, I would say like it demonstrates ignorance. Yeah. Well, to him, it clearly is just a political punchline. Yeah. It's just uh, something, something that he can throw out into the ether whenever he feels wounded, mm. he can, you know, sort of turn that back and just victimize trans people as mm. a, almost as a joke. Mm. Um, and yeah, as you say, to do it, you know, on a day like this and this is it's interesting a lot of people have sort of made the point online that there's a lot of sort of liberal or very polite uh civilly minded uk journalists who are pointing out that this is so bad because it was done in front of brianna jai's mother um 
a lot of people have pointed out that oftentimes the UK media is very slow to pick up on transphobia, very mm -hmm. slow to criticize it, oftentimes willfully engages in it. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are making the point that this would have been an awful thing to say at any point. Anyway, it's yeah. always awful. Absolutely. You know, like trans people ha have access to the media, they watch PMQs, they are aware whenever someone as powerful as Rishi Sunak makes an awful comment like this. Totally. Um, so it just sort of, it just, it gets at the heart of, I mean, you know, dehumanized was the word that, uh, that Brianna Jai's father used and that, that's exactly what it is that and is, it is yeah. just it's tragic and it's sickening and it's honestly it's stuff like this I think that's more responsible for transphobic violence than smartphones I think you so know, too is, is political political leaders and a political movement where trans people are considered to be less than yeah and um, transphobia just, is uh, given validity and credibility when it's spoken about in this way and it's disgusting in my opinion um, okay, we've got two yeah. two stories I want to cover fairly quickly now before I let you go. First of all, Prince Charles has cancer. There's really not a whole lot more to say other than that. Um, I think we knew he was going in for a surgery which was related to his prostate, but it's not prostate cancer. They've been very specific about that. Yeah, it's just they, they found it sort of incidentally while doing this prostate checkup. Mm. Um, it is a good, I suppose, like almost the most notable thing. I've said this already. I think uh, when we did we uh, did we discuss this before? I think we this no. came up briefly. Oh, um, and I was oh, did we not discuss this before? Maybe this is just something I've been talking about a lot in my private life. Um, <laughs> but I do think you just that, love like, to talk about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think it's it's interesting because as as the king, as the monarch of England, you do so few noble things in your life. Yeah. But the truth is that by going very publicly to have his prostate examined, mm -hmm. the king has actually probably influenced a lot of people to do the same thing and go yeah. and get themselves checked, yeah. uh, which will, will probably lead to like an increase in, you know, cancers being caught. Yeah. So in many ways, it's like one of the most noble inadvertently noble things that king charles will probably ever do yeah and uh, they said that they said that in the statement as well that like they decided to be public about the cancer because in previous generations of the monarchy they would not have said anything they would have just privately had the treatment but that they decided to be public about it for that very reason just to kind of you know increase cancer awareness yeah and there's like Exactly. And there's there's loads of evidence that like high profile people coming out and saying that they've gotten tested or gotten checked or gotten diagnosed even mm -hmm. like it does lead to better reporting. Um, so it is. A, a, but, you know, as for his health, the prognosis is like not clear. They've been quite secretive about it. Mm -hmm. um, they say just that he's doing well and doing his best. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of people got a bit shocked when Harry flew in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because people kind of think, obviously, there's a big rift there. Mm. Not that I'm not much of a royal correspondent personally, but I do know that people think, you know, there is obviously yes. a rift there between them. Yes. And for, for him to show up kind of suggests that there is a, a level of seriousness to it. Yeah. But um, that is all speculation. That's speculation. We don't we don't know. We know that Camilla is continuing with her various uh, royal bits and bobs and, mm. and William is doing his bits and bobs. So, mm. yeah. um, you know, things are proceeding relatively as normal. But yeah, yeah. We, don't, we don't know. Yeah. Uh, what the prognosis is. No. Um, and then finally, I just thought this was interesting. Um, the first case of a parent being charged over their child doing a school shooting has happened. Did I say, did that make sense, that sentence? <laughs> Sometimes I say things and I'm like, am I, yes. are these, is this English that I'm speaking? Um, but that is the situation. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. The parent, the parent in in Michigan, in the United States, the the parent of a of a young man who who killed four people at his high school. The mother has actually been 
convicted of of involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, it's the first time that's ever happened. And it's it's one of those things again. It's a bit like the phone ban. You know, you read through it and you're like, oh, that sounds relatively reasonable. You know, because this mother has has missed a lot of signs that you know this kid needed a lot of mental health help mm. and he had given a lot like he had disturbing writings and drawings and things mm. you know things that essentially publicly planning to shoot up the school and yeah i think for a parent to miss that it does seem grossly negligent um but the main thing really you know, is that the kid was able to access the gun at home right isn't that i think that's well, that, in addition because well, that's, that's that's a big one Yes. So, yeah. Also, like, there's the element of, like, the kid got the gun at home. Mm. Like, the gun was, like, legally procured by the parents, mm. um, which is this something you, like, pretty much, you pretty frequently see with school shootings is mm. that the gun is, it belongs to, it comes out of the household. Mm. Um, so, that's another element of it, which I think sets a pretty good precedent. Mm. But, I mean, with the way the US is so resistant to like, you know, this is the kind of thing that varies state by state, like it wouldn't surprise me to learn that there are states where you don't even need to keep your gun in a sort of safe mm. place. Um, so I think all of this, it does come down to like, gun access and, and whether or not this sets any kind of precedent in terms of, you know, preventing future school shootings would be, you it, know, pretty it does feel a bit like of a um scapegoat is the wrong word it's, but a distraction it's very punitive yeah it, fe it feels like it's okay we we okay we accept that maybe there is blame that lies elsewhere beyond the people who actually perpetrate the school shootings which obviously has been like the gun people's argument always has been you know it's the shooter it's it's the you know it's there it's all on them you know guns aren't bad people are that kind of vibe so this is like accepts that actually there is blame outside of the shooter themselves but rather than blame the insane access to guns that the american people have we need to find something else so we'll blame the parent you know it it seems a little bit like it like they're almost there but not quite you know what i mean that is it's kind of like it's the most sort of vindictive approach you could take to this logic you know yeah. instead of addressing any systemic issue you know yeah instead of, instead of addressing like accessibility of guns maybe or, people just shouldn't have guns in their homes like yeah. for example like maybe that should be a thing no no let's blame the, the mother like you know look it, it, i am certain that any parent who has a child who perpetrates a school shooting blames themselves already like i am certain because you know you blame yourself for every thing that your kid ever does wrong and you absolutely do not ever take credit for anything your kid does right that's just part of being a parent I would say probably maybe not all but like 98% 99% of parents like you know so I don't think anyone would ever say it's not my fault at all I'm sure that mother blamed herself from the get-go um you know can you argue that you know parents are remiss if their children can access guns and if they don't you know if they don't tend to them in terms of their mental health yes sure but like at the end of the day you're still not not dealing with the real problem which is that guns are way too easy to access in america like if we think of america as the home who's the owner of america it's the government yeah. you know they're the ones who are allowing the mothers to access the guns or the parents to access the guns so it just feels like it's so close so close to actually tackling the real issue but not actually doing it yeah absolutely and you know it just the whole thing of of 
I feel like this will lead to just more parents monitoring and invading their kids space in a way that probably is not productive. You know, if you've got a kid like a teenager with like emotional problems, a kid who's sad, a kid who's angry, you know, the vast majority, the overwhelming majority, 99.999% of those kids are not going to shoot up a school. No. Um, You know, so I think like just taking this evidence, like a kid's writing or a kid's, you know, drawings, a kid's, you know, all that sort of thing and using it as justification to sort of put parents in jail uh, after a shooting. I don't know. It just, it feels a bit like, you know, draconian. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, Carl, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking through those stories. Um, you know, even the ones that are difficult, um, it, I think it, it's good to talk. Um, you can find Carl's writing uh, on the journal.ie. He writes a surrealing in the years column every week, as we always say, where he recaps the week. It is genuinely brilliant. Highly recommend. Always entertaining read um, and always insightful as well. Well done, Carl. Um, and then <laughs> you can find Carl on the internet as well. Do you want to give your your ats, Carl? Yeah, sure. I, I think I feel like I've gotten quite good at it now. I okay. feel like <laughs> at the start when I used to introduce my various social handles, I used to be awkward about it. Whereas now, I think I'm I'm nailing it. Oh no, oh, no baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at TV's Carl Kinsella, and you can find me on Instagram at Carl Well, thank you so much. Thanks, Louise. As I said at the start of the episode, I think that one of the main reasons having the news in my output is so important is that I think you can get disconnected from the news and you can start to feel like you don't understand it or it's not for you or you're not smart enough for it. Um, And the reality is we are all smart enough for the news. It's just that sometimes it's communicated in a way that's hard to get to grips with. And uh, one of the reasons that I want people to be informed and, you know, clued into the news at least a little bit is so that when it comes to voting time, you can vote with your own opinion that you've come to on your own based on information. So a referendum is coming, two referendums are coming, and I thought it would be good to get to the bottom of these referendums because I've gotten some messages from you guys saying that you're a little bit confused about what actually we're being asked and what is the no side, what is the yes side, why are the conversations that are happening taking place. So I decided that I would get in contact with a former colleague of mine, an all-round very, very, very clever and articulate woman, Sinead O'Carroll, who is the editor of the journal.ie, to talk through the referendums, establish clearly what it is that we're being asked, and then give you some information that you can take away and, and assess yourself, whichever way you want to vote. But before we do that, I think it's worthwhile me reading the actual wording of the referendums that are were being asked to vote on. So basically, it's obviously about the wording of the Constitution, and it is changes to certain articles or the um, deletion of certain articles. So the first one is on the definition of the family. Currently, Article 4111, I hope I'm reading that correctly. I actually don't know if that's how you read those numbers, but anyway... It currently reads, the state recognizes the family as the natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, imprescriptible is a word I've never heard before, antecedent and superior to all positive law. 
So the proposal is that that will be changed to the state recognizes the family, whether founded on marriage or on other durable relationships, that's the new bit, as the primary, as a natural primary and fundamental unit group of society and as a moral institution possessing inalienable and imprescriptible rights, antecedent and superior to all positive law. So it's just the addition of whether founded on marriage or on other durable relationships. And then the second article that they're proposing be changed is Article 41.3.1, in which it says, the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage on which the family is founded and to protect it against attack. So they're suggesting that just the phrase on which the family is founded be deleted. So it will be changed to, the state pledges itself to guard with special care the institution of marriage and to protect it against attack. So that's the kind of referendum about the, the definition of the family. The second one is what most people are calling uh, women in the home. Um, and currently, here's the situation. At the moment, there are two articles which they are suggesting be deleted and replaced with something else. So these are the articles as they currently stand. Article 41.2.1 reads, currently... In particular, the state recognises that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. Then the other article is Article 41.2.2, and that says the state shall therefore endeavour to ensure that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labour to the neglect of their duties in the home. That's how it is now. And what they are suggesting they replace it with is this. The state recognises that the provision of care by members of a family to one another by reason of the bonds that exist among them gives to society a support without which the common good cannot be achieved and shall strive to support such provision. So that's what's being put forward. You can read this. It's all put out really, really clearly online if you go and check it out on the Electoral Commission website. So electoralcommission.ie is the place. It's actually so clear the way that they've laid it out. You can read it over and over and over again so you can make your own decision on what you want to do. But now you're going to hear a conversation between myself, as I said, and Sinead O'Carroll, who's the editor of the journal.ie, about the conversation around this, about some of the arguments being put forward, why there are certain sensitivities, and hopefully that will lend itself to you making your own decision, uh, whatever it is that you decide. Sinead, thank you so much for giving me your time and giving us uh, your time, because I think that there is a lot of confusion around these referendums, uh, despite the fact that maybe initially things seeming very straightforward, different perspectives are coming out and some people are very confused. So I thought I would speak to you who as an editor is obviously completely impartial and is able to give us the information, the facts around this referendum, what we're being asked and um, kind of where the confusion is coming from. Um, so I suppose let's start with what, what questions are we being asked? Yeah, so we have the 39th and 40th uh, amendments to the Constitution. So that's what will actually be on the, the ballot paper when we're asked whether we want to change these two things in the Constitution. The first is something that people will have heard about for years and years and years, the role of the women in the home in Ireland. So whether we, the part of the Constitution, um, Article 41, that says that, do you want to remove um, the reference to uh, a, a woman's role in the home? And change it to gender neutral language, which will still acknowledge the role of care within a domestic uh, setting, um, or do you want to leave it as it is? So they're, they're the options, change mm -hmm. it to gender neutral language around care in the uh, in a domestic setting, or leave it as it is, as the, the women's role in the home. Mm -hmm. And then the second one then, which is 
so it's a, a different amendment, but feels related because it's about how we define the family. So mm. at the moment, the family is defined based on the uh, role of marriage in society. Um, and that has been a bone of contention for obviously a lot of families who aren't based on marriage yeah. in the country. And so the uh, government wants to change the wording of the constitution so that instead of it being founded on marriage, which currently is what um, Article 41 says, that it would be based on a durable relationship. So instead of being based on the institution of marriage, that's based on a durable relationship. We'll probably get into that in a bit because that has been one of the biggest talking points Mm. of the two referendums. It seems to me that the the kind of discussion around these referendums is mainly fixed on wording. Is that a fair assessment? It's not, it, for the most part, it doesn't even seem like people have an issue with the general idea of changes, but it's more that they're not happy with the actual wording. Yeah, like if you had told people five, ten years ago, we're going to remove the women in the home. And it it kind of became known as the women's place in the home, even though it doesn't say women's place, you know, women's role in the home, um, that, you know, we would it would just pass very easily. You would feel like there would be no conversation about it. Mm. But then we had a citizens assembly about it. We had an Oireachtas committee and they started talking about what it actually could be. And mm. so um, the constitution is obviously kind of a place where we leave, like we put all of our values, all of our wishes. This is the society we want. This is how we want Ireland to be. These are the rights we want people who live in Ireland to have. Mm. So when you start thinking about it like that, people are like, okay, well, right, we don't want it to be gendered. We don't want um, to put women in a box or put women in the home and not let them out of that. We, But we also, if women want to choose to be in the home or people who may, might not have necessarily been their first choice by necessity, they have to be uh, doing domestic work at home or caring work. We also don't want to dismiss that or put it as secondary to work outside of the home or, yeah. or work in the private or public workplace. So um, the, the Oireachtas Committee and the, the Citizens Assembly before that both recommended that care should be acknowledged somewhere in the constitution. And this could be a way of doing it instead of just repealing the the, the article altogether. So a lot of people who would be on the no side on the care, um, the women in the home slash care um, amendment would say the, the wording doesn't go far enough. Mm. Fine, it recognises care, it acknowledges that it exists within the home and that it is important. But the wording is that the government will strive to do, the government of the day will strive to do, the state will strive to do what it can to support it. Mm. Um, The current constitution wording is that there would be no economic necessity for women to have to work outside the home. We know that's absolute rubbish. There's an economic necessity for most households to have um, one or two working adults in them. So, you know, there is no, we have no right because of the constitution as it stands. Mm. Um, but the the worry is that hasn't gone far enough. People on the yes side would say, well, at least it's something. If we say no to this, then we're never getting a chance to get it in again. So mm. that would be kind of why the no side on that is about wording and the yes side are saying, well, like it, it's better than what we currently have. Yeah. Um, And then on the other side, so on the other amendment about durable relationships, this is where the the wording and the the semantics have really come into play and why your readers and listeners will probably have heard a lot about throuples and uh, Mm. polygamy and polyamorous relationships over the last uh, few weeks. Um, So people have taken issue with the idea that a relationship could be decided on what's durable or not because it's not a very scientific term mm. so very little that goes into the constitution is scientific but you either legislate for it like we did for repeal going mm. into the repeal referendum we knew exactly what the law would look like on our legislature later after mm. um the 
the refer referendum passed. This is different. There's no legislation planned to mm. define what durable means. Mm. So people have questioned whether it's a good idea to put something in the constitution that hasn't been very well worked out because then the courts might have to decide what is durable or not. Um, so then we might get into a point that we're legislating on different, uh, that the, we're asking the court and maybe even up to the Supreme Court to decide what's durable and what's not. Mm. Um, the government and people who are on the yes side of the, this um, are saying that a lot of it will just be common sense when how we run the country. Mm. So, you know, if um, for things like, um, you know, the widower's pension that we saw mm. recently, that was decided in court. Um, but some of these things just might be just decided more practically outside of court. Mm. Um the durable relationships, the extreme part of that then is people arguing that, you know, polygamy might be allowed. Mm. While we can't say a lot of things are misinformation because sometimes a court will be able to decide on these things, we have seen the court rule against arguments that polygamous relationships should be recognized mm. in terms of there was one in 2020 where um uh, Afghan man tried to seek reunification, a reunification visa, which has been part of the argument on the no side that reunification and immigration um, might become an issue. Mm. The government were warned about in a memo that it might add a layer of decision making for the government because people might seek to have family over based on durable relationships rather than just marriage. Um, the government argues that they can legislate for that. Mm. And the, the court in 2020 said polygamy isn't recognized here so therefore you can't reunify with a third wife which mm. was what this man wanted to do um so we do have some precedent from the courts that that wouldn't happen we obviously know that polygamy is not legal here yeah um, i think people have argued then that throuples so like more polyam polyamorous relationships rather than polygamy um might pose questions um so th this is where we're really getting into this mantings on why people have heard about throuples so much and not through just yeah. on celeb pages <laughs> yeah. but i suppose the difficulty is that you know you can't there are so many different forms that a family can take how could you not be slightly vague about it because it, it is a case-by-case -case thing Exactly. Like even if you like just look at your group of friends and like try and decide exactly what kind of relationship constitutes what's important enough, you can like a great example of this is, you know, that uh, phrase that people use for weddings, no ring, no bring. Yeah. Like you don't get a plus one unless you're married to them. And mm -hmm. like, God, if your listeners have done that, imagine how many like friendship breakups you've had if you don't like invite a plus one because just because they're not married or just because they're not engaged, you mm. know, that's it's not a it's not a modern take. It's not a modern outlook. No, on, absolutely. On life in Ireland, because then you th you consider like I mean the family that I grew up in where it was my aunt and uncle who were raising me, or you know people who siblings who take in their younger brothers or sisters are they not families? Like it's that's the question that we're being asked. Um, so yeah, okay, I think we're clear on the kind of question mark over that one. The other one is the one that I'm struggling with personally a little bit more, the idea of care, because it seemed to seems to have sparked a conversation, which is essentially um, there is a community of people who who care at a, I guess, an extreme level to a certain extent, not just necessarily parenting your children or doing, you know, domestic tasks at home, but people who are full time carers who who for whom caring is, you know, a big part of their life because maybe they have a, a relative who requires more care than the average person. And they seem to be upset by this wording. Um, and it's hard to kind of picture a situation where I would be going against someone who is not happy with this wording. What is the, the major contention there? Yeah, I think, and I think this is why a lot of people are way more 
on the fence on this yeah. uh, question than they thought they would have been a yeah. few years ago, exactly. it's particularly women. Um, and so when you hear people like Catherine Connolly, um, the Galway TD, who I think a lot of people would um, respect massively for her political career and her um absolute conviction in 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 how she has gone gone about her business she is not happy with the wording people like tom clonan who's a senator who um is a carer for his um adult child um his adult son so yeah i think there is because of that wording that the 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 state will strive to provide support it just feels like it will just languish in the constitution and never really see the light of day in any real sense mm. that there won't be, you know, there's no promised legislation afterwards. There's certainly no promised money or change in circumstance for anybody. Mm. So I think the... And it, this is a community of people who already, I think, feel consistently let down by the structures that are in place to to assist them in their lives. Exactly. Every like people would say who care um, kind of full time in their lives mm. that it's two jobs. It's the caring, but it's also the administration of the caring and it's the fight. It's the constant battle to get services, to reinstate services, to try and get help in terms of like home hours or just yeah. a break or a respite. Yeah, well, um, I know in my family, um, we have recently been uh, just applied for assistance at home. and We got a letter about a waiting list and then we got a subsequent letter to tell us that the waiting list had actually extended um, and we were invited to an information session to be explained to about how the waiting list had been extended. So rather than things improving or us making our way up a list, we're actually further down. So, you know, I have nothing but respect for, for people in this situation and we're only starting in that area of our our family's life so I'm sure for people who've been at it for years it must be you know really disheartening and I can imagine it would really grind you down I suppose the struggle for some campaigners like I know the National Women's Council are absolutely for a yes vote on this um, and lots of other women's groups the struggle is that now this idea of a woman's place being in the home is connected to a conversation about a carer's place you know a different type of carer's place within the constitution and it must be difficult for them to feel like we're finally getting a referendum on this we don't want women's you know mention in the constitution to be around working within the home we, we know that women's lives can be you know much more multifaceted than that or sometimes they are focused in the home and that's fine but that everyone needs to be represented um but it, it's it's become more complex yeah. And so the recommendation, so part of the the reason that people on the no side on the care, some of the people on the no side on the care is because it doesn't go as far as what the Citizens Assembly recommended and doesn't go as far as what the Oireachtas Committee um, recommended. What they would have recommended, I think, would have seen kind of a, a, a clearer pathway to actual real life supports. Mm. Um, the Constitution doesn't necessarily always give us that mm. but that, that this was a pathway that they thought possible and and so they feel let down that it, it's not quite the the pathway mm. that they expected to see clear in front of them um so i can totally understand from their point of view that there's no point in just getting a halfway house you might as well just keep fighting for the whole thing but because the two conversations got conflated you're right instead of we saw this that, that people saw this as an opportunity to not just dismiss the role in the home. Mm. So I think maybe when you're when we were struggling as women to get to a place where we could work and get opportunities, um, re regardless of our gender. Now we've got to a place where we actually also want to see that the work we're doing, and I think COVID had a big part to play in this as yeah. well. When 
like people were actually at home um, and that caring role, even in what we were saying, like kind of the more ordinary domestic care roles, women were still doing, I think, was it 90 percent of the of the care during COVID? So mm. I think that kind of radicalized some people a little bit mm. thinking, OK, well, yes, we are seeing our place outside of the home is seen, but also our place in the home is still in the main. Obviously, there are massive exceptions, but in the main still falling uh, on women. So mm. I think probably women were more radicalized by that ex- mm. existence for the two years. Yeah. Um, so it became very important to have that care element recognized. Um, but as you say, it does conflate two conversations and that's why it becomes very difficult. Yeah. I think um, when you see the support for um for removing the women in the home clause, I think it's very, very strong. But what's being replaced is the is the question it mark. waters down mm. the, the support absolutely. Mm. Um and then that's not even getting to the point of when governments put forward referendums, a lot of people just want to say no to the government because we've had them for four years. You know, they they might have annoyed you for some other reason, mm. be it housing, immigration, whatever, like the the topic of, of the day for you is mm. you might feel like going in and just saying no on the ballot paper. So the government and the yes campaigns also have to deal with that. So yeah. this idea of water downwording, um, very uh, interesting arguments from the, from a no side that is quite disparate. Mm. Um but I think powerful yeah, because in there some are, ways. You're right, because there are people who you would never expect to be on the same side of an argument, kind of on the same <laughs> side of, of each argument in this one, which I think is why it's so confusing. A lot of the time you can just go, well, if they're saying no, then I definitely exactly. want to be yes or vice versa. But it is a little bit more complicated now. I have seen um, people who do have issues with the wording saying that they're still going to vote yes because they feel like there might not be another opportunity to vote on these matters anytime soon. How likely or unlikely is it that we would just get to do it again i think it would be extremely unlikely um it it takes it takes a long time to get to a point of a referendum like Mm. you know obviously the abortion referendum was a a very extreme version of that but Mm. um you know at the start of each government term they will kind of put forward a a bunch of referendums that they say they're going to hold you know Mm. we'll only see a a hand not even a handful you'll see one or two in the lifetime of of a government maybe three or four um, the idea of returning to something yeah. um, would be extremely rare, like in in any kind of quick time frame. Yeah. Um, you know, we had divorced twice, but it was a good few years in between both. And yeah. obviously, you know, life changed so dramatically between mm. between the 80s and the 90s. So we had that twice. Mm. Obviously, we have had a couple of European ones, but that was by necessity rather mm. than anything else. The idea of doing kind of one by choice again, um, I think would be would be rare. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's. It's kind of an interesting one for government. Yeah, because like what you're saying, like Labour were reluctant. Yes, they eventually said yes, Sinn Féin are the same and still haven't really come out saying, yeah, we're definitely Mm. like full on yeses. Uh, People before profit are reluctant. Yes, Breed Smith was saying she's a reluctant yes on it. So a lot of it is for all the reasons we've been talking about, that Mm. it's it's more complex and people really want to see that like support. for for carers in there i think the other one is interesting because i think the arguments around immigration for the 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 family uh, definition i think they had started to gain traction michael mcdool had written a a piece Mm. for the irish times i think people started to think oh this could have implications for tax or immigration or lots of these other laws but that seems to have kind of slow down a little bit and and the people who like you know single parent families who are coming out and talking and and uh 
you know families like that widower who didn't get the widower's pension yeah. while that doesn't make a material difference to this referendum or or the laws of the land i think people have started to recognize actually we do need to have a more modern take of what a family is so mm. i think that has started to overtake public sentiment a little bit rather than the concerns around family reunification in, yeah. in immigration or polygamy <laughs> yeah yeah I mean look it's tricky I guess everyone has to what I would recommend is go read the wording you know really consider it read both sides of the arguments and then make your own decision I mean that's all we can ever do in these situations but I hope that this information helps you because I think it is important to know you know because the idea of it would certainly influence my decision when you consider the fact that you probably won't get a chance to do this again um, yeah. and I think that is something that people need to consider and just my last word on it as well, um, Stevie McDermott, one of our um, reporters here in the journal, wrote actually a piece this week mm. um, just looking at the misinformation that has been around. And there's not been a huge amount of misinformation because when you're looking at a referendum like this and it changed the constitution, a lot of it is based on legal opinion or um, you know expert opinion that might that might differ so mm. what some people might be saying other people might be calling misinformation but it's kind of just like caveated opinions so it's worth reading because he kind of runs through what what's just legal opinion and then what is actually being put out maybe as misinformation or he has added a lot of context like that detail of the supreme court mm. uh, and the polygamous uh relationship or the court of appeal and the polygamous relationship and so there's a lot of good detail in that that will help people kind of figure out okay who t who would be good to listen to yeah. um but yeah there's some really good nuanced arguments on both sides so yeah there's definitely like i said like Catherine connolly tom clonan on the on the no side um and people like you know the national council uh national women's council labor on, on the yes side so people can definitely seek out those opinions of people that they trust yeah 100%. Thank you so much. I've read that article, by the way, that Sinead referred to that I would highly recommend. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so that you guys can find it more easily. Sinead O'Carroll, editor of thejournal.ie. Thank you so much. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. to something completely different we have to talk about the celebs my friends and there is so much to talk about this week we have to talk about the Grammys at which there was loads and loads and loads of drama who did Jacob Elordi allegedly assault and lots more besides fortunately this week I was joined by Keen Sullivan to chat through the stories 
<laughs> well, we haven't even started and we're laughing, so that's good. That's a good sign. Um, I am joined by the wonderful Kean Sullivan for the celebs this week. We have lots to talk about in the world of show business. Um, how was your week in general, Keen? Good. I was at a hen party in Amsterdam over the weekend. Which I was am going gorgeous. to Amsterdam on Thursday. Oh, well, next Thursday. Yeah, no, yeah. it was lovely. Had a great time for my friend Lindsay, who was getting married. We painted some dildos. We did some karaoke. <laughs> we saw some drag. I mean, what else could you want? Sorry, expand on the dildo painting. So what it was form? A pi- pimp not- at my dildo class. They were clay dildos. Clay, that was what I wanted to know. What were they made out of? Uh, And that you got loads of paints and glitter and googly eyes and belts and feathers and you could have at it. Now, we're not actually using these, are we? I don't think they're safe. Body body safe. (laughs) No. I'm trying to think, how could you make them? I was like, maybe a bit of varnish? No. Well, I thought it was going to be making, so I thought we'd be casting things and stuff. But this was actually more fun and less dangerous. Casting, though. Would I'd, be be intri- I'd be intrigued. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not something I'd be against. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on. Um, I don't think I'm going to a dildo making class in Amsterdam, which is an awful shame. You, you, can, you can make, you are in power of your own destiny, Louise. My friend sent me like a voice note of our itinerary the other day. She lives there and it's mostly uh, built around places we can drink Cremant. So <clears throat> a slightly different weekend, but equally wonderful. Um, okay. We have so much to talk about, so let's yes. get into it. And we will start with the Grammys, which I think is the dominating story of the last week. I feel like, is it just me? Maybe it's just the world that I live in, but I feel like we're really paying attention to the awards this year. Yeah, I think so too. Is it TikTok? Is it Taylor Swift? I don't know. But oh yeah, like... TikTok, I, that might be it because we're just getting all those clips. Whereas yeah. before, if you didn't sit down and watch it on, uh, you know, if you didn't seek it out on the mm. internet or sit down and watch it on RT2 the next day or whatever, yeah, you kind of wouldn't see More it. More accessible. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not too sure why. But, and maybe because the Emmys were kind of lumped in with everything else this year when they normally aren't. They're normally yeah. earlier on the year. But I normally always try to pay attention to the Grammys, even though I constantly gaslight myself that my fave is going to win and they don't but uh yeah i i do enjoy it but i think this year was actually a particularly good year in terms of the performances so i guess some headlines are taylor swift wins album the year for the fourth year becoming the only person to have done that she beat uh paul simon frank sinatra and stevie wonder who've won it all three times so and wasn't there like a really horrible statistic that like that's more than black women combined I think black women have won it four times in total. Yeah, yeah. so the same. <clears throat> yeah. It's not great. It's not It's not great. Look, it's, for Taylor, this is a win. And for the Swifties, it's a win. But for me, you know, Midnight's was not my favorite album. No. It's not even like top four Taylor albums. For me, it should have been SZA. We, speaking about, you know, the last black woman to have won it was Lauren Hill in 99. Yeah. I can't think anyone who's better to like take the mantle off Lauren Hill as like a generational yeah. talent as SZA. I would have loved to see SZA win it. But like Beyonce before, she was kind of snubbed. And for me, it kind of just felt like a win for white capitalism in a way, which kind of felt a bit icky. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I saw t- clips of Taylor. She's uh, doing shows in Tokyo at the moment. And I saw a clip of her doing a show where she was saying, oh, I was thinking if I didn't win a Grammy, I would have announced the new album here, but I won, thankfully. And then, <coughs> excuse me, she contextualized the win uh, repeatedly by saying because of your support and because of you guys they chose to give mm. me this award and I kind of think that is it I think they were like she had an absolutely massive year she was w- probably the biggest artist in the world yeah. this year so we're going to give her this award but that doesn't actually make sense when the award is album of the year it's not tour of the mm. year or performer of the year it's album of the year and I love Taylor too kind of I have a complex 
complicated relationship with Taylor but I enjoy Taylor Swift's music I really want to go see the uh, Eras tour Yeah, but I do not think it was the album of the year I don't think and as I, I, I agree with you I don't even think it's her best album yeah. I don't even think it's nearly her best I'd album I'd rather see SZA win I would rather see Lana Del Rey win I'd rather yeah. see Janelle Monae win I'd rather see Olivia Rodrigo win there was at least four or five albums I would rather see win yeah. but you know unfortunately like these industry awards it's not always about the art it's something about you know the spectacle of the artist and we know that this would have got headlines more than SZA maybe or maybe not SZA but you know Olivia Rodrigo yeah. winning and that also plays into it and there's now I've heard this second hand so don't don't come from my sources if I heard somebody recount a TikTok to me saying that there was a statement from one of the Grammy voters who's normally like a country leaning man in his 40s who said none of these albums are worth album of the year so because Taylor had a big year I voted for her and that's I feel like <laughs> a kind of example of who is voting for these awards. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he also was basically very disparaging with Boy Genius and rock music as well, so he really shot himself yeah. the foot. But speaking of Boy Genius, Phoebe Bridgers was the biggest winner on the night because she won three awards with Boy Genius in the rock category and her collab with SZA also won an award for Best Pop Duo Performance. So... Good for Phoebe. Yeah. Delighted for it. Happy for her. Miley, ha- I think, had a really Devastated, great night. Devastated, by the way, that Boy Genius are not doing anything together for the foreseeable. I know. But that's, no. another, that's another story. <laughs> we'll take our grief elsewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Miley had a really, really good night. Yeah. Winning two awards on the main broadcast, doing a really, really fun and charismatic performance of Flowers, like just her in her own 70s garb, dance moves. I loved her looks. Yeah, amazing. Like, I love that big hair. Like, she looked kind of crazy and I'm here for it. So yeah. much of what was there was boring. Ring. If you want to search your Friday off right and you haven't seen that performance, stick it on and you will guarantee these. Great shout. Great yeah. shout. I also loved, um, I have to say, Burna Boy. Um, sorry, I'm skipping forward now. All but good. I loved Burna Boy's performance. Um, and I was really surprised to hear that Burna Boy was the first Afrobeats artist to ever perform at the Grammys when you consider the influence that mm. Afrobeats has had over pop music over the last few years. It kind of doesn't surprise me because the Grammys are very footy-duddy. They love their yeah. classical. They love their Billie Eilish because she's a classical piano yeah, yeah, yeah. crooner. So it doesn't surprise me. But I think they did a really nice job of, of giving, giving him the stage and mm. performed with Brandy. I mean, That was so cool. Come back, Brandy, please. Uh, and also Carol G got an award for like Latin music. That's the first time Latin music was ever mm. like showed on the telebroadcast as well, which was really good as well. So I think they, re- they, are, they are trying to diversify. The Grammys has had a long turbulent history with rap music they normally don't air the rap categories they didn't do it this year but I think they also didn't air the rock as maybe like a kind of counterbalance yeah, in a way yeah. and they gave more time to burn, uh, like afro beats and reggaeton and stuff like and that that is so, cool yeah which is fair enough mm. but then the people who really stole the show were like the legacy acts mm. you know the Grammys are known for like having kind of legacy acts up there who are kind of maybe past their cultural significance but I mean Joni Mitchell is evergreen so to have her up on stage was you know such a monumental moment especially after so long that she, you know of her not performing at yeah. all uh, and having to retrain summer. to sing after her aneurysm and everything yeah. you know I mean Billy Joel was there as well but I mean <laughs> whatever but the the <laughs> the performance that really made me cry was Tracy Chapman oh Kian don't get me started. So for context, Luke Combs is a country singer. You may have heard of him over here. He was like, I'll just do a cover of Fast Car. It absolutely blew up. One of the biggest songs in America last year. Um, so I was kind of, I have to say from the, just for personal context, yeah. I was annoyed <laughs> because I have a PTSD via Callum Scott and Dancing on My Own. Um, yes. And I will never be okay with it ever because it just drives me insane that it's the most popular version of Dancing on My Own mm. on Spotify and that so many people think 
it's his song and it just mm-hmm. makes me insane. I'm sure mm-hmm. he's a lovely boy, um, but I, I just have a hard time with it as a diehard Robin Stan. So then with this, I was like, oh, for God's sake. I was like, again, this is happening. Um, because I have loved that song for for decades. Um, and it's one of the saddest songs, like if not the saddest song mm. that I've ever heard. Um, yeah, suck on that boy genius and Phoebe Bridgers. Um, <laughs> but now I feel differently because of this performance. Yeah, and it's kind of set up with Luke... Combs saying like, you know, yeah, I, I didn't think I'd, you'd be able to do this justice. and I don't think I did, but people seem to like it and it's all good. And instead of it being when I saw that they were going to do it together, I was worried it was going to be Alexandra Burke on The X Factor where Luke sings like the first two verses. And then it's like, I'd like to introduce to you Tracy Chapman. Yeah. But no, the camera starts on the guitar and zooms out and you see Tracy Chapman and she's there and she sings and she sounds exactly like she did in the late 80s. And you're like, exactly. Oh, goosebumps. Yeah. Straight away. And it's her performance and yeah. he's there. Yeah, he's and, there to basically pay homage to and her. And I loved that. I thought it was so respectful and um I also didn't know, in fairness, I hadn't made the effort to learn that like the reason he recorded the song is because his dad played it for him when he was a kid. Oh, he yes. was obsessed with it for years mm. and years. Like he came at it as a genuine fan. Yeah. Um and um, you know, I think there was something to do with there's stories going around that like, you know, he made no changes so that she would get maximum um, royalties and like all this kind of crack. I don't know if that's true. But, you know, that is a really great way, I think, to respect an artist whom you're covering. Yeah. And Tracy Chapman, I just want to go to her gig now. Mm. Like her, her, she looks incredible. So beautiful. So chic. But also she sounds, as you say, exactly the same. Yeah. Which Untouched. is remarkable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Someone accused me of ageism once when I made that comment about another singer. And I was like, no, babe, it's a scientific fact. Most of our voices change. change as we get older. Yeah, exactly. So it is remarkable when someone's voice stays exactly And the I same. felt like in that performance, her gli- like the, her eyes glistened. And it's like she yeah. transported you back to when you first heard it. Like, I was amazing. If you have never listened to that song and listened to the words, listen to the words. It is heartbreaking yeah i remember when we were graduating from school we wanted to choose that as our graduation song and they were like no listen to the words and then i heard them i was like oh yeah bits yeah no, bits n- not for not for graduation <laughs> i don't think um, um anywho uh that was the grammys was there anything we missed there so jay-z yes <clears throat> so jay-z won the dr dre global icon award he got up and he made a speech with blue ivy a sidebar can we see some of the other kids i feel like there's a real air in the spare vibe to the beyonce kids but, but is it not just that they're way younger Maybe we saw we saw Blue Ivy there when she was two. Like Blue Ivy always yeah, gets to go true. to the Grammys. I'd love to see some of the other kids. Anyway, he gets up. He talks about the Grammys. Her and this. It's true though. How old are the twins? <clears throat> They're only six. Yeah. Maybe it's just like if we bring one, we have to bring both. Yeah. I'm, I'm not. I'm not bringing two kids, <laughs> which I would respect. <laughs> so he kind of gets up, <clears throat> and there was kind of a trend throughout the Grammys where. A lot of the Taylors, the Miley's, the Billy's kind of were like, oh, this is cool. I'm happy to win this award, even though it was Miley's first. Whereas like SZA and Victoria Monet, who also won, were like, I can't believe this has happened to me. And it's kind of just interesting, like how aware they are of the prejudice against that white people are privileged, that white people have and win these awards more so. And Jay-Z was good at calling that out. He kind of goes back and talks about how he's boycotted the Grammys in the past for not nominating DMX and how like by the Grammys own metrics Beyonce is the most awarded artist but she's never won album of the year Mm. 
And then he sort of veers into some dangerous territory. And he's saying, you know, some of you are going to be robbed tonight. Some of you don't even deserve to be nominated for album of the year. And then the room <laughs> kind of turns on Blue Ivy is like, Dad, shut up. I know. <laughs> and then he kind of wraps it up and, and steps down. Um, but yeah, some candid, you know, calling out of Jay-Z. And I, th- I think one thing that unfortunately the Grammys can't control was that people were kind of while winning and being happy being like this isn't that important yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of embarrassing for them now I would say also winner of the Dr. Dre Global Icon Award on the night was Mariah Carey and she didn't get any time on the main telecast to to accept her award oh that is appalling she MC MC mother mother butterfly herself (laughs) so I would have liked to see Oh, I'd Mariah say the Lamely are in uproar. Now, you can YouTube it, but, you know, it, she knew it was in the pre-ceremony, so I don't think she oh, gave it her that's all. That's such a shame as well, because I, I wouldn't know. mind. She is such good entertainment value. Like, you get so much from Mariah when she says anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, I would have loved that. <clears throat> and Beyonce was seemed like, oh, no, is, is Jay-Z veering into Kanye West territory? <laughs> you could see her as an embarrassed wife. Um, I saw some, actually, there's a girl I see on TikTok sometimes who does impressions of Beyonce, mm. and she did, like, an impression of Beyonce after the Grammys talking to Jay-Z she always is like Julius you know Julius is Solange's yeah, son yeah. she's always getting him to do things so she's like Julius get your uncle a water he's obviously thirsty like <laughs> and she's like what have I told you she's not she's not like enraged she's still in her like self-aware she's like you have to tell me when you're gonna do this and then she said she's like blue thank god you got up there that day because we are never going to these Grammys again like so funny well Beyonce premiered a cowboy hat at the awards I have to say I was not into the look but people are speculating that Renaissance Part 2 is going to be country. And we think that the cowboy hat is a nod to that Renaissance Part 2 is coming soon. I would be extremely into that. Yeah. Extremely into that. I would love that. Oh my God, I would love that. Because okay. the, the, the fan theory, and I think it's kind of based on something that was put out where I break my soul was Renaissance is going to be three parts and they're all reclamation of genres that started with black artists. Oh, no. Dance That's music, country, and then rock and roll. <gasps> That would be, I feel like if she's, if that's not the plan, she should make that the plan. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> she I mean, should be like, she can guys... do it. And then she can retire. Like, yeah. I mean, that's her, like, I mean, And it amazing. would make sense because on Lemonade, obviously there's Daddy Lessons, which is country. There's, um, Don't uh, Hurt Yourself, Don't Hurt Yourself which, is which is rock and roll. And they're both brilliant songs. That would be great. So, yeah. Sorry, before we move on, I just, the, so the album of the year nominees, I just want to figure out which ones Jay-Z thinks shouldn't have been there. Miley okay? Cyrus. Well, okay. John Batiste, he definitely would have said should have been there. Yeah. Boy Genius. I think should have been there. Miley Cyrus shouldn't have been there. No, Lana Del Rey. Yeah, yeah, I think fine. so. Okay, uh, I actually didn't listen to that album that much. Um, I need to go back. No, do I? But everyone says it. it's whatever yeah. best. Janelle Monae, Olivia Rodrigo. I think should have been there. Like yeah. massive pop album, way Agreed. before Taylor Swift, frankly, yeah. and SZA. So actually, if I was going to pick two who shouldn't have been there, I would have said Miley and Taylor. And I like Miley and Taylor mm-hmm. just for the record. But like in the context of those other albums, I just don't think they stand up as much. Maybe Taylor should have been I, there. Well, I, I think Jay Z's <laughs> clever enough not to take a shot at Taylor. I think when he thought about it, he was thinking of Miley so harsh if it's just her he's talking about I mean this is speculation obviously but um, okay anyway let's do, move do, on do we want to talk about Celine Dion and that drama and the new album from Taylor I'll go through it briefly yeah. for people so internet's kind of apoplectic about or the, about how Taylor treated Celine Dion yeah she comes Celine Dion basically announced the award for context Celine Dion's really sick she's got this yeah. neuro um, neurological disorder called we stiff person syndrome years. Yeah, which means she is prone to muscle spasms. She can't really perform. Mm. 
it, she came out and she said, when I say I'm happy to be here, I really mean it. Mm. So she's very reverent of her situation. Um, she announces the album of the year, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift kind of comes up and just prizes the, <laughs> the Grammy out of her hand without looking at her like she was one of the help mm. and goes up, does a weird handshake with Jack Antonoff. Um, also drags Lana Del Rey up on stage with her who looked uncomfortable because Lana had just lost that award. Mm. Um, so was she drunk? Was she high? Was she just awkward? We don't know. There was some damage control afterwards of Celine and, and Taylor Swift hugging backstage. It looks it bad. Well. It did look bad. Like uh, when I woke up the next morning and I saw people giving out about it, I was like, I ah, hear, I bet this is some overinflated drama. And then I watched it and I was like, oh, it does not look good. Yeah. No, I don't think it was a purposeful snub. It was just, no, I think it was she was wrapped up in the moment. Rude. Yeah, but it was rude. Yeah. It was rude. So that's a whole drama. She also announced her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, that's coming out April 19th. Do you know that, do you know that Brenda from Bristol when they announced the new, uh, um, oh, on, uh, election in the UK after Brexit? And she's like, another one? That's how I felt <laughs> about this album. I was like, girl, come on, give us a break. Like, so when this album comes out, she will then tour Ireland. Are songs from this album going to be in that tour? Or she's going to change the ears? I'm stressed thinking. She'll have it. to. I'm stressed thinking. She can't it. have a new album out and not play, play it. it. But then what song is going to get cut? People would have seen the movie, seen the playlist and be like, I can't wait for my fave and then it's going to be chopped for the new song. I don't yeah, know. but in a way, um, that kind of makes me feel like maybe I should watch the movie then because I haven't watched it yet because I was like, I oh, don't yeah. want to spoiler the tour for myself. Yeah. Anywho. So, <clears throat> there's that. And then, uh, yeah, they're the only two other things basically. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Eventful night. Very eventful. Very eventful. I saw some other footage of Taylor from backstage like getting photographs taken with boy genius where she was being super awkward as well um maybe she just had kind of a weird night I don't know um but I do feel and I saw people in the comments of that because she was being weird and awkward in that and someone pointed out that actually in all the photos of boy genius at that like with that backdrop at that time Mm. Julian is crying and like you can see her like gripping her hands are like white gripping Lucy's hands and so people were like clearly boy genius were having a moment and then Taylor arrived with her energy and like got involved and so it feels off because she obviously doesn't know that something had been happening Mm. there and those photographs like Julian is is crying like and I I, when I saw them I was like oh you know I feel really sorry for her because even if she's having like a happy moment still to be in that situation with like photography in front of you and stuff would be awkward but then someone pointed out in the comments they were like you know we're just Taylor has been on the up, 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 up. Now she had this amazing year last year. And now, just as happens with everyone, mm. um, people are just ready now to kind of tear her apart. And that that in the, in the cycle of Taylor Swift, that's where we are that's now. Natural. She and wins big. You know, at the Grammys, people feel like she doesn't deserve it. Then people say she's rude to Celine Dion, which in fairness she was. Then there's this and like, what's going to be next? Yeah. You know, the boyfriend is a problem. She's a problem that she's at the football. Like people are just ready yeah. to kind of put her back in her place. Exactly. And then she'll... Because she's a mastermind, she her stock will fall, and then she'll release the re-recording of, of Reputation, which is what yeah. she did last time. Her and stock was she'll there. write another song about it, and you know, and she'll win in the end. Yeah. It seems like the Olivia and Taylor beef, though, has not been put to bed, because although when Olivia Rodrigo performed Vampire, Taylor did get up and sing, there was no picture of the two of them behind the scenes. So. Mm. Anywho, (laughs) let's talk about this because this is actually, I think, a fascinating story from this week. Um, And it's not often I would call an assault fascinating, but there are a lot of moving parts here. Jacob Elordi has been um, accused of assault. He's accused of assaulting a producer 
on a radio show in Australia. So you hear that and you're like, oh no, Jacob Elordi, yeah. you, have you messed up your career already? You're only now getting your like real well, when moment. When you sent me the story I just saw Assault, I... I yeah, game over. Warped up brain, thought it was sexual assault and I was like, oh yeah. God. <laughs> I know. So it's not sexual assault, first yeah. of all. And secondly, after I read it, I was kind of like, fair enough. <laughs> I was curious to know what you think of this. So this chap, Joshua Fox, British guy living in Australia, uh, tried to sort of ambush Elordi with for a bit of content, asking him for some of his bathwater. Mm. So on that, I didn't know people, people still did this sort of like wacky radio. So I don't as- know if, are you aware of this radio show that he works no. on? Okay, so this is... This is a big part of why I said fair enough. Okay. So just for context, Joshua Fox works on a show, Kyle and Jackie O, um, which is an absolutely enormous Australian radio show. The two presenters are paid literally millions, um, I believe. I'll double check that afterwards. And if I've made a mistake, I'll I'll (laughs) correct. But like they are, they are huge people. Yeah. But they are frequently offensive, Mm. inconsiderate, rude. Like there has been so much controversy around this radio show over the years. They, they deal in like controversy basically and obviously it makes sense then that what one of the things that their producer does is he makes content where he you know puts celebrities in uncomfortable situations and films their response yeah so yeah so um, so comes up asks for the bathwater LRD turns around and asks him to back off and the report that we read is kind of from your man Fox's point perspective mm. but anyway Fox said that he said, no problem, sorry, the joke didn't land. And then Elordi began to push him against the wall with his hands around his neck until he deleted the video. And this happened at 3.30 on a Sunday. Um, So then there was a report from the news just saying that one person assaulted another and there's no further comment. So So the actual assault is pushing him against the wall wall and putting his hands on his throat. Yeah. Which, I mean, is violent. Yes, of course. I can't ever ever condone condone violence. violence. No. Um, But also, you shouldn't be invading people's personal space. No. Asking them inappropriate questions for your own content. Like intentionally trying to make them uncomfortable. Yeah. To film them. Like, that's not okay. And it feels like, I know this is, there's been classic kind of punked or other sort of skit shows and past for TV and radio, but this does feel like a continuation of people throwing things at people on stage for TikTok. Yeah, like, stop. Shut up. Go away. The police statement says, police were told about... um, 3.30pm, told about this incident, uh, it says a 32-year-old man was allegedly assaulted by a 26-year-old man. The man did not sustain any injuries. Inquiries into the incident are continuing. So, like, there's no injuries. Yeah. This is a man who loves drama. You just have to take all of that on board, I think. Violence is never the answer. No. It's never okay. But it's been very funny to watch Australians on social media respond to this because they're like... Oh, I think so. Yeah, because they are kind of like, a lot of them are like, yes... If it involves Kyle and Jackie O, go for it. Like, yeah. um, and then there's also people who are like, "Oh, I'm in such an awkward position now because you know, whatever, wherever he comes from or whatever school he went to, mm. they're like, now I have to support a James's boy or whatever, and you know, all this kind of stuff." The Australians appear to be very much on the side of Jacob Elordi, which yeah. I think is worth noting. Which is interesting. It's kind of almost like Cheryl uh, punching <clears throat> punch that toilet attendant in the in, Gilf, in the well, Gilford I would say that's probably worse. Okay, <laughs> I would say that's, that's still probably a, a lot worse. I th- I, mm. But I mean that for Jacob, <laughs> he'll get by it. He'll yeah, he'll it. totally get he'll by it. it. And and no, obviously don't uh, don't touch people. Just don't yeah. touch people. Don't but touch absolutely people. do not get up in people's face when they're in their private time yeah. filming them and intentionally trying to make them uncomfortable for a response. Don't Agreed. do that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's talk quick about what's happened on TikTok Universal Music have taken their music off TikTok 
I find this really, really interesting. Mm. And I'm looking forward to hearing what you think about this. So yeah, Universal have basically pulled music from all of their artists. That includes Taylor Swift, Harry Styles, Justin Bieber, a whole lot more. Uh, the music from them, from the video. So if you had a video using a song, you will probably have got a notification saying audio has been removed from your video for copyright reasons. Mm. Um, Universal say that this is for three reasons. One, appropriate compensation for... and the uh, Yeah, appropriate compensation for their artists. Two, the protection of art from AI. And three, online safety for TikTok users. I don't know how much they care about that third yeah. one. Um, they reported that the app tried to bully them into taking a fraction of the royalty deals than, than other social media platforms. Um, whereas TikTok are saying that Universal have just walked away from this free promotional tool. So when I heard this, I was kind of pro-Universal. So was I initially. Then I'm hearing the artist's perspective. You know, Noah Khan, who's having a moment right now, kind of got famous via TikTok. He's kind of like putting out a video apologizing to his fans saying, you know, hopefully I'm going to land on my feet. I can't even promote my own music on TikTok anymore. I'm not really sure what I'm going to do from here. Um, pop songwriter to the stars mnek kind of said this has been counterproductive i've been in so many meetings with universal talking about how i'm going to promote my songs on tiktok and now you're just pulling all my music from it lily allen has said like what's the point of being with this record label if they can't even negotiate a deal with the biggest social media planet on the on the maybe we should set a class action so if the artists are against it i'm reconsidering my position but i mean I don't really know how useful TikTok is for promoting music. Really? Oh, I completely disagree. Okay, go on. I think there are artists who who are having huge success who would not exist without TikTok. I agree with that. But are their songs big because the songs are good or because they serve a function? Or that they sound good to like a twee holiday montage? A, a bit of both. Okay. But like, let's look at a song like um, Sam Smith. Um, and Kim Petras. Um, Unholy. Unholy, thank you. I was like, Daddy's, that's not that's not the name of it. <laughs> Unholy. So Unholy is teased, teased, yeah, teased, yeah. teased for months on TikTok. It has the best hook. And it suits TikTok because it's kind of grimy. Mm. And like everybody gets on board and everybody plays it. By the time the song comes out, everybody is so hot for it that it gets huge numbers. Yeah. Um, I don't think that if that song had just been released as is without the build up, it would have done that much because the song as a whole is actually, it's not much beyond that look, you know? And I agree. But the fact that Sam couldn't capitalize on any of their other songs on TikTok makes me feel like it's kind of just a sporadic machine that just shoots out hits here and there. Sure. But like, where is the loss for the artist? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think there's more to gain than there is to lose. That's true if you're Sam Smith. well, but 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 how do you lose as a smaller artist? Like I, because I mm. kind of think you you can't play an entire song on TikTok. Yeah, like you can only play a section of it. So it's not like someone can just listen to your music on TikTok as they mm. would on Spotify or whatever. You know, they're only going to get a little section of it. Yeah. So you know, for a listener, you still need to go to your streaming platform to listen to the song. So where's the loss? I know. I just heard these reports. You know, Steve Lacey and Bad Habits. Yeah. People showing up to a Steve Lacey gig, not knowing any other song, and then only singing along to the thirty seconds of Bad Habits. Sure, and that I agree with is now, annoying. He's still getting tickets and sales, I, but, but yeah. Sure, uh, but I think yes, and I think that's a good point. But I think the impact of TikTok on music is one conversation yeah. on on audiences <clears> on all of that. Like, I'm not completely up for the TikTokification of music mm. because I think that a lot of songs are being written with 30 good seconds and then filler yes. around it. Yeah. However, 
and I'm not up for um, labels forcing their artists to promote, you know, to, to build massive TikTok strategies or whatever. But do I think that like if Universal are concerned about like money and royalties, mm. if that's their the main hook, which it seems like it is yeah. for them taking the music off, I don't think that makes sense because from a royalties perspective, I still think people win more than they lose via TikTok. I, I wonder, is that only true for the big cases and that like it's a net negative for all of their artists flogging their songs on TikTok and only like 1% of them take off? But but I but I still don't understand how they lose in terms of yeah. more, like you know you're not people aren't listening on TikTok instead of somewhere else. Well, they're, if they're spending time on their phone on TikTok, they're not listening on Spotify in that moment. Whereas mm-hmm. if they hear if they were getting like three cents every time you heard a video with the song, I think mm-hmm. that's what they're looking for. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, I guess what I mean is if people aren't if people aren't listening to the song in the first place, then it doesn't matter how much yeah. money they're getting. Do you That's know what I mean? That's true. But I guess they, uh, they, they're they losing out on the people who listen to the song and then don't transfer over to the listen to on Spotify. But those people would never have heard the song in the first place. So they yeah. would never have listened on Spotify. Yeah. Yeah, look, it's... it's hard to know. Yeah. <laughs> Call I'm me. Re- if Universal, if you want to have a chat, I'm here. I'm happy to advise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Then- it's, it's interesting, though. And I'm, I like to see how it folds because in I think it's like four weeks or six weeks, several weeks away anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and another deal is going to go out, which is for publishing. So any artist who has worked with a Universal artist, like who has written the song for them, well, their music will also be scrapped. Mm. And industry insiders think that could be up to 80% of the music on TikTok. I mean, it's going to... So I can't wait to see how yeah, it turns out. Yeah, I'm, definitely. I'm RuPaul I'm with sure those we'll opera classes. <laughs> can't wait to see how this turns out. <laughs> yeah. um, and then just briefly, um, I just really wanted to acknowledge that the cores are uh, going to be playing in the three arena. Is it going to be Andrea, Caroline, Sharon and Jim? Apparently. Okay. They're back to do a tour for their iconic album, Talk on Corners, which is their biggest selling in the UK. And actually... <sighs> Huge album in Louise McSharry's life. 33rd biggest selling album in the UK of all time. It's huge. That is crazy. Uh, Hits Only When I Sleep, the cover of uh, Fleetwood Mac's Dreams, What Can I Do, all on that album. Um, Not the one I would know the most. I'd be, I'd know Forgiven, Not Forgotten better, but huge. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Hmm. I've just realized it was not forgiven, not forgotten. Um, but I still <laughs> really, really, really love that song. No, I still really love that album. Yeah, those, yeah. Both of those albums were yeah, huge they, for me. They were great. Um, Kicking off November 8th, UK and Ireland, if you want to get tickets. I will 100% be there. There's, um, a real, there's a real trend of artists kind of just touring a particular album. I, I think love it. Block Party are going to do Silent yeah, Alarm in full yeah. soon. And yeah, yeah, I'm here for it. Arcade Fire are doing... Um, are we allowed to like them again? Well, actually, Gordon and I just had a massive conversation about this yesterday because... Um, Basically, uh, when the allegations about Will. Win? Is that his name? Win? Sorry, thank you. As I said it, I was like, that's not right. Mm. I wouldn't mind. I've been to see them like 10 times. <laughs> um, and, I, and I used to really enjoy their gigs. Um, but when the allegations came out, it was the week that they were playing in Ireland. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going. I, I just knew that I, I couldn't. I was here recording with you that week, all right? God, is that? Jeez. I've yeah. been doing this podcast a long time. Um, yeah, I was just like, I just know I wouldn't enjoy it. And Gordon decided to go yeah. and didn't really enjoy it. Just found he was really distracted and felt really weird about it. But now that they've announced this gig, um, he's. we were discussing it again yesterday and re-looking over the allegations and all the rest. I still would not be able to kind of put it to one side. That's just me personally. Um I just, once I know that someone is a greasy, skeezy man, which that I think is undeniable in the context of this situation, um, I, I can't 
turn mm. around on that. Um, but, you know, some people can. Yeah. And speaking of kind of own cancellations, I mean, Lizzo was there at the Grammys. Mm. So that was her first sort of like industry nod to be like, you're okay to be. So it's yeah. interesting to see how these things turn out. It sure is. Well, Kian, we've talked for 31 minutes um, <laughs> and I feel like it was all killer, no filler. So Absolutely. they'll be getting every single minute of it. <laughs> um, what is going on at the moment for you in podcast land? I'm flat out. I'm covering US season 16 on sissy.pod. I'm also in my Patreon bonus feed covering UK versus the world so there's a lot of drag going on but I'm enjoying it a whole lot of drag yeah. um, you can find those uh, check out Sissy That Pod yeah. on uh, Instagram and you'll get all the info absolutely thank you so much Keen. bye bye My friends, it is just about time for me to go, but thank you so, so much for being with me this week. As I said earlier, it means so much to me and I mean that really and truly um, and I'm excited about moving forward together as a community. Don't forget, if you want to join the Patreon, head on over to patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise Makshari. There will be a new mailbag episode out next week, which is where I respond to your comments, your questions, your thoughts, things that you think we should be talking about, as in you and me. The number, if you want to send a voice note, is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. If there's something sensitive or you just don't feel comfortable leaving a voice note, you can absolutely text as well. I'll read the text out and respond to them too. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that this week. It's one of my favorite things. Um, In terms of recommendations, I don't have loads. Uh, What I can tell you is that I have been watching True Detective. And I know I did an ad for True Detective on the podcast a while ago, but I actually genuinely just love True Detective. And um, I'm really enjoying the current series. Uh, Really enjoying it. I'm four episodes in now. I think that's all that's been aired. The last one, I'm not going to lie, a little bit spooky for me. I am totally chicken shit and I do not deal well with scary stuff. (laughs) I like, I just... It's not even that I don't like it. It's just, I just find myself being like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I voluntarily putting myself in a situation where I feel tense and scared? It's a little bit spooky. I'm not going to lie. But generally, I'm really enjoying it and I can't wait for the next episode. So that's the kind of TV program that I'm currently on. Watching Great Pottery Throwdown, obviously, absolutely loving that. Um, Other than that, I'm just back on my Bravo bullshit and um, flat out with the Housewives and Vanderpump Rules and all the rest. So there you have it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Acast and to my brilliant contributors for all of their support and contributions. I hope you have a great week, but obviously not every week can be great. And I know that recently I've had a few weeks which have not been great, but all you can do is put your foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. Jesus, Louise, come on, get it together. Put one foot in front of the other and together we will make it to next Friday and when we'll be together again. I'll talk to you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.